Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. We have a pretty packed episode for you today. Now that we are video live as well on YouTube and some of our clips are going out, we're going to break down a few of the key power and speed pairings for dynasty drafts this offseason, as well as dynasty targets if you are in an established league already. Richie, as you and I have seen already, we're seeing a lot of the names that we love and have hyped up this offseason start to really push into the the front of content creators. But let's get you on in here. What's going on? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, Wisconsin has currently had like a frozen rain going on. So <laughs> my garage is flooded. So I've been taking buckets of water out of my garage because gotta love it did you see Anyways. um did you see the san diego videos that came out a couple days ago i saw a couple of them but i remember when we were out in san diego for your wedding and i remember because it was during the hurricane yeah. what was it hurricane hillary or something damn you hillary and <laughs> and i just remember how hilly those roads were mm-hmm. and just looking and not seeing any sewer gutter or sewer uh drainage areas anywhere on the streets there was like one every like two or three blocks and i'm like they do not have the infrastructure to handle heavy rains and all these storms coming through are truly impacting san diego right now so i feel bad for them oh yeah and i think when we when we went out disking which was in an area of san diego i had not been prior to that day you really was highlighted exactly what you said um in the airbnb you guys were staying at like i think about that and i think about just the driveway that we took down you know, it's great to be that house that you guys were staying in. It's not so great to be the homes that are at the bottom of that driveway because oh, no. all the water is going to rush down. It was crazy to see, though, and it kind of put it in perspective for me when we were there with the issue of the hurricane. And it's like, yeah, that's really nothing in comparison to what they have experienced this week and can, can experience because, like you said, the lack of um, overall like infrastructure. But, yeah, Vegas is uh, actually warming up. So, you know, it's uh, toss the the nice little fleece on and go outside. I think our winter is over. Um, you know, we will we will see. But let's break into it. We got a few news and notes today. Nothing crazy has happened this week as we had a bunch of notes to catch up on last week since we had missed a week. But we do have the Josh Hader signing. This was awesome news, I think, for most fantasy managers in Dynasty. I think this is great news for redraft leagues as well. Now, it only sucks for those of you that have drafted and have taken Ryan Presley or taken Brian Abreu with the hope that he would ultimately get that closer role. So hater to the Astros, I think it was five years. Is that correct? Yep, five years, 95 yep. mil. What are your thoughts? Do you like, do you like this for Hater? Do you do you not like this for his value? Yeah, honestly, anywhere Hater was going, it was going to be good for him as long as he was on a contending team, which obviously I think that's where he wanted to go. The Astros fit that bill perfectly. Ryan Presley has been a top of the line closer, top five, top 10 the last few years, struggled a little bit last year. So I fully anticipate Josh Hader to be a top three, if not the top reliever this year for the Houston Astros. Yeah. And I saw a few reports this week that the general manager had a conversation with Presley before the signing, um, kind of, you know, talking about the overall strategy and the approach that will be in that bullpen. And then the manager taking over for Dusty Baker said he wants solidified roles in place going into this year, but there's always the opportunity for one of the three to come into a uh, spot where they're desperately needed. I think alluding to the fact that Josh Hader being the lefty may be used in prime situations if necessary, but I think ultimately what we're talking about is 30 to 40 saves as Josh Hader has traditionally been 
and again, in saves and holds, you don't necessarily care too much where Josh Hader is being utilized because he's going to be a high leverage, high output ratio guy. Those save leagues, though, I, I think you may lose three to six saves this season if he is leveraged against lefties at any given time from seven to nine um, within a ball game. Yeah, I don't know how true that actually is going to happen. You can say you want solidified roles, but if you remember last year, San Diego wanted to do that same approach in the seventh or eighth inning, and he refused to go out there because he only wanted to be out there for the ninth inning. And that was some part of the concern with signing Josh Hader is knowing that he strictly wants to be the ninth inning guy. So I'll be interested to see if he actually is willing to go out for that seventh and eighth inning now that he's making that $95 million. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an investment, right? And I think also the nice kind of cute portray of this is the Carlos Gomez trade in a lot of ways has been neutralized. Those of you that don't remember, Carlos Gomez for the Brewers was traded to Houston uh, at a deadline deal. He had an expiring contract, so he was entering free agency. Josh Hader was a part of that deal among a number of other players. Um, Adrian Hauser was in that deal. And Hader obviously being the best part of that deal as now, I think this is his fourth organization. Started with Baltimore, went to Houston, went to Milwaukee, went to San Diego, and now is back with Houston. So, yes, they paid the price tag, but they do get Hader in his prime. I think you know, I was able to acquire him in a salary dynasty startup. That price tag is a little bit hefty, but I think we know three to four years now we're going to have prime Josh Hader. It's a pretty good signing for the Astros. Uh, moving on, we have Chapman to the Pirates. So sticking in the relief role. Uh, $10 million on a one-year deal to Pittsburgh. You sent us a text yesterday talking about David Bednar, which we had concerns about this offseason. What do you think of Chapman going to Pittsburgh, and do you think he is going to take the closer's role? Yeah, to clarify, it is a role as Chapman and not Matt Chapman. But <laughs> I, I do say think... Matt Chapman? I mean, I think no, you could... No, you just said Chapman. You just said Chapman, so you're good. I just want to clarify because those are, are two big Chapmans that are out, out there, but... I do think Aroldis Chapman is going to be an eighth inning guy, but I think they're going to do the matchup approach. He's the lefty. David Bardnar is a righty. So I think depending on the situation, they're going to roll with Chapman or Bednar, depending on if they're going up against the heart of the order and how many lefty righties they're going against. So I do think David Bednar has a, a good hold on it, but I think they might mix and match from here and there. So David Bednar falls a little bit in my rankings. I still give him top 10, maybe top 15 in that range, but he's no longer a top seven, top five closer for yeah. me. Well, and the signing for me kind of appears as though the Pirates are attempting to progress in the standings this season, that they are taking 2024 as an opportunity for them to hopefully push that 500 threshold mark and O'Neill Cruz coming back. You have Paul Skeens, as we are projecting to probably hit the rotation, if not starting the year, middle of the season. I think this is a really good opportunity to get saves and get holds from both of these players with the hope that they do stick. And I think worst case scenario, if this season's a catastrophe, you could look yet again for Bednar to be moved and Chapman to be moved. Um, they do have a former first round pick from 2020 that I, I think will work his way into that role. We're going to be talking about him next week. So, you know, I'll kind of leave that little piece for, for you as the listener. Um, two more signings. We had James Paxton to the Dodgers. This was a big one, I think. I think Kershaw presumably will probably not be signing with the Dodgers, at least before the season. That's what I'm now forecasting. 
I think this could be a thing where either Kershaw lands in Texas with either the Astros or the Rangers or waits until midseason to see how his health is recovering from that shoulder surgery. But Paxton Ritchie had a really nice showing for you to start the season last year after he came back from injury, kind of fell off down the stretch. What are you thinking the 2024 season holds for James Paxton in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's it's tough because James Paxson always dealt with injuries. Even last year, I rostered him in my categories league. Missed the beginning of the season, I want to say the first two months. Then came back, dealt with a minor injury halfway through the season. Came back, still looked great. I like what you see from James Paxton, but I don't think he's going to be there throughout the whole season for you. He's going to have a few IL stints. But I think the biggest takeaway from this is the young pitchers for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think Emmett Sheehan is no longer draftable in our hometown dynasty long-term keeper league. I have the option of keeping him for $6. I don't know if I'm even going to do that anymore. He's destined for a bullpen role or going back to AAA based on all of these signings that the Dodgers have. I don't see there's room for him. And Kyle Hurt, um, Bobby Miller, I think is a lot, is a lock to be in that rotation, but I think James Paxson is there for additional depth and nothing more than that. So I'm not really interested in James Paxson, um, but I think this hurts Emmett Sheehan more than anything. Yeah, and I think Kyle Hurt also probably bullpen role, right? I think yep. he's going to be the guy that we're looking at over the next two to three years as a really high leverage um, holds opportunity, sparse, but the opportunity I would expect for him and Gratterall to possibly be fighting for that 7-8 role. Um, Gratterall probably has the upper hand since he has, you know, longer major league experience. And I think you said at Sheehan, the projection I had, even when he was dominating, when he came up was he looks to be a high leverage reliever, but he also has shown the ability to be a starter. So I think Sheehan probably gets eight to 12 starts this season in patch roles. Um, and 2025 is where you're really looking at seeing where this rotation is going to shape up once Otani and Yamamoto are officially at the top of that rotation. This season, though, it is just Yamamoto as Otani recovers from Tommy John. And again, Paxton on a one-year deal. I think the Dodgers also know, hey, let's get through 2024 with all this depth. We'll let everything shake out in 2025 how it should. And yeah, it's a concern for a lot of these young young players. Stone as well, right? Gavin Stone had issues last yeah. year, lost a lot of his prospect pedigree. I still like him as a prospect, but he's not going to have the opportunity now this season to really build that major league experience, which I think is necessary. You know, you look at his performance and Brandon Fott's performance kind of as bad as each other, but Fott at least got the opportunity in the playoffs. We saw what opportunity does as you make those adjustments. Stone hasn't been given that shot, nor will he presumably now. Uh, last no news and note we have is Uriel Rodriguez to the Blue Jays. We kind of forecasted that last week when we talked, the expectation was for him to sign with Toronto. It's already a good rotation. They want to use him as a starter. That's what's coming out after after this report of him signing there. I think he's a bullpen guy to start, kind of stretched into a starting role in the 2025, 2026. This is a Cuban right-handed pitcher, 96 mile an hour velocity, can get up to 99, really sits 94 to 96, has a really good slider. Uh, last time we saw him was in Japan in 2022, out of a bullpen role, had a sub two ERA. I think the Blue Jays have gotten a great signing here in regards to flexibility, um, but I do think we're talking about a two-pitch pitcher, and that scares me. 
Yeah, I definitely see him as a bullpen role. I'm not buying him being a starter. They can try it all they want. I think ultimately he's destined for that bullpen role, but I do love him as a save and holds target for sure. Jordan Romano was close to the saves leader last year, and I'm blanking on the guy who was behind him, um, the setup man for the Blue Jays, but I rostered him in our categories league, and he did great for me in my holds league. I expect your Yariel Rodriguez to have a very similar path. I know you said this was our last signing, but we forgot to put in our rundown Robert Stevenson signed yes, the Los yes, Angeles Angels. Um, so I think Carlos Estevez is gone. Get rid of him. He's gone. Robert Stevenson, I think, is going to be the guy. He may not be the guy in the beginning, but he will be the closer for the Angels come the end of 2024. Put it in, lock it in. If there's a prop bet out there, Carlos Estevez versus Robert Stevenson for <laughs> saves, I'm taking Stevenson all day. Yeah, the CBS uh, Fantasy Today podcast did a fantastic breakdown of Stevenson and his numbers. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, it was on yesterday's show. They gave some incredible statistics in regards to what Stevenson did over a four-month stretch with Tampa Bay last year after the introduction of the cutter. Um, I'm not going to steal their content. Go listen to them. It's going to absolutely make you think that Robert Stevenson should be drafted in the fourth round. Pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> you know they reference as well that it's a four it's a four month sample. Now in that four months, he was absolutely dominant because, of course, the Tampa Bay Rays were able to pull uh, value out of him, introducing that cutter. And I think Stevenson in Orange County with the Angels going to have great opportunity. They've paid him more than $10 million a year, if I remember the contract terms correctly. I think you're right. I think he is going to be entrenched. The problem is with no more Otani and an absolute little, you know, shithead in Anthony Rendon, that team may not win as many games, you know, as you'd like, but I still expect 30 saves out of Stevenson this year. And if he can continue the success that he had last year with that 14K per nine, in those four months, you're talking about a really good ratio guy. Uh, real quick, I think it's funny. I pulled up the depth chart for the Blue Jays. They still have Nate Pearson as a rotation piece. Not the case. Our uh, our auto definitely feels that. But the name you were searching for, um, and I was searching for as well, was Eric Swanson. Been yes, fantastic. Eric Swanson. Thank you. Um, yeah, he's been fantastic. All right, what do we think? Do we have any more news and notes that I may have missed? No, that was the only one. Okay. And it's a great one. I'm glad you said that because it's uh, it's a huge signing. It's worth noting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get into it. So you and I have loved Victor Scott. Uh, this week, the uh, impression that we were going to go into our outline with is we were going to highlight Victor Scott. Well, a few of our industry friends have beat us to the punch. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Victor Scott over the last four to six months, the speed profile. Hey, we've, been hyping, we've been hyping Victor Scott so long. <sighs> it's okay. Let everybody else come yeah. come on the bandwagon. We're the ones driving the train. I mean, I, I agree. So next week, we are hopefully going to give you some names that others haven't stolen yet. And it's funny, this is kind of the industry. It's competitive, right? But uh, Victor Scott, you know, I'm going to profile him real quick. I want your thoughts and we'll move on to a few names that we think aren't being valued at the level Scott is, but we still see a profile maybe trending towards what Scott is and going to be. Uh, Victor Scott, 23 years old, outfielder for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, played in the AFL this season, extreme speed, and we are starting to see an uptick in exit velocity as well as an approach from pull side power from Scott. 
I think, you know, we are kind of uh, differing opinions. I I think Scott can be a 10, 12 to 15 home run guy with anywhere from 60 to 80 steals at the major league level. I see a 280 to 300 prime production from that batting average, a good on-base percentage. And I think in Roto and Categories League, this is a guy all offseason I have been drafting to really pair with my power guys to make sure that I don't necessarily have to worry about stolen bases nearly as much as other people. And we've talked, you know, um, Ruiz from Oakland, now going to be Vegas in a few years here, kind of was just the speed guy. Victor Scott is almost the whole package. I saw a comp today to Ricky Henderson. I think that's a little bit off, but I do think this is a profile that we haven't seen in Major League Baseball in quite some time. And Victor Scott is someone to be very excited about, someone I'm excited about. What is your take on Scott? Yeah, I th- I'm encouraged by his power output from what I saw with the, in the AFL this past year. I think that's what ultimately got the hype in for me. Um, he had three home runs in that 23 games. He also stole, I'm trying to pull it up here, 97, no, that's wrong, 94 stolen bases. So you know he's got the speed. Um, only nine home runs altogether for the entire um, double-A and high-A over the course of the year, but it's those three home runs in the AFL that makes me think he's found something. He's really tapping into his power. We'll see if it translates into the next season, but that's got me encouraged, and I want to invest before it's too late. Yeah, and the price is getting there. Um, This week, I think there were a few leagues that I had taken over as orphan teams, and I had really gone after Scott, and I had given some really aggressive offers, and it just didn't take. So we wanted to talk about a few names that you could still target if maybe your league is is not as inclined to be trading Victor Scott to you, or maybe your drafts are over and you weren't able to land him. First name on our list is going to be Justin Crawford for the Phillies. 2023 had 47 stolen bases with a 392 on base percentage. That was between A and high A. Most of his games in season were at A, uh, A level. Did get promoted late in the season to high A. Needs to work on his walks a little bit more. Um, you know, walk to strikeout isn't exactly where we'd love it to be. But those 47 stolen bases, the bloodline for Justin Crawford, having, you know, Carl Crawford formerly in the major leagues, showcasing a profile that we kind of look at Scott like. Um, I really like Justin Crawford. I like the ultimate opportunity for him within the Philly organization and that lineup control as he probably looks at a 2026 debut. What are your thoughts on Crawford? I like Crawford, not nearly as much as I like Victor Scott, but I think he's under the radar. People don't really realize he was part of this last year's futures game, did pretty well from what I remember. I like his swing. He's more of an average type guy. He batted 344 um, at low A and then three, oh no, yep, then 288 um, when he moved up to high A. So I like the batting average he's going to give you. He's going to be great for stolen bases, 47 altogether last year. I don't think he's going to provide much power, only three home runs. So I'm thinking five to 10 more so. I think he's Estuary Ruiz-like with a little bit more batting average if everything clicks for him. He's still young. He could still develop into his frame, tall, but a little bit on the lighter side. So hopefully he can build into that 6'1 frame of his, um, maybe get up to 200, 225 pounds. It's at 175 right now, according to baseball reference. So you never know. Power is something that could be developed, but you really want that hit tool. Um, maybe a, a Luis Arise with speed at his peak outcome but that's a pretty lofty comparison so um take that with a grain of salt 
Yeah, and you know, again, the three thirty-two average at a ball. We'll just call it a ball since there was only seventeen games, if I remember correctly, at at high A. Um, it, it, we have to see more progression. He just turned twenty, so happy belated birthday. Looks a lot like his father. It's kind of funny when you actually look at the MILB profile. I think there's a lot of development still here. You talked about the body, kind of see where that goes. His father, too, as he came into the league, developed power. I think this was a fantastic pick. First round, 17th overall, out of Bishop Gorman here in Las Vegas. I'm really excited for him to have a higher ceiling than some of the other names that we're about to talk about, just because there is so much youth involved and there is so much development that can still come. I think he's also a name right now. When we talked about the value that Scott has, you can probably still go get Justin Crawford for a mid-tier um, starting pitcher if you have depth. Guy I have that I would probably offer up for Crawford, hoping for an immediate accept would be a John Means or possibly you know somewhere in that tier level where I'm looking for Crawford to take a step forward in 2024 where the excitement is kind of matched with Victor Scott. Scott is three years older, so you know you have that as well. Scott could have been acquired probably this past offseason for pennies on the dollar. Depending on the league you play in, too, if you're talking about that John Means trade, you can get Justin Crawford as a throw-in prospect for somebody else, too. I think that's how under the radar he is right now. Yeah. Nobody's talking about him. Yeah. Well, and and that's why we're bringing him up today. So next name is a guy we also like. I think there's a lot more uncertainty about the profile in Enrique Bradfield for the Baltimore Orioles. Drafted in the first round this year out of Vanderbilt. We talked about him right after the draft is like the guy in this draft when you're targeting stolen bases. 25 games, 25 stolen bases, only caught twice. And this is where we really like to see the profile. 26 walks, 16 strikeouts. Bradfield didn't showcase power that wasn't necessarily in his profile, but we're talking about a guy on the base paths that's going to wreak havoc, much like Victor Scott has. The only downside is we have seen almost no power in the profile. What are your thoughts on Bradfield here in the offseason? I, re- I remember on draft day, and I was talking to you about Enrique Bradfield and where he was going, and I was like, Matt, take a look at the grades he gets. I've never seen an 80-grade run on somebody, and Enrique Bradfield got that. And I feel like it was an aha moment for you, and you were like, oh, my God, why why have we not honed in on Enrique Bradfield? And mm-hmm. We both were thinking wherever he's going to go, he's going to shine. And lo and behold, he goes to the Baltimore Orioles where prospects don't miss these days. So I like Enrique Bradfield. I'm excited to see what he can do in a, in his first full season with the Baltimore Orioles. I just feel sad that it's with the Baltimore Orioles because they have an embarrassment of riches, as we always say. They've got so many young players that they don't know what to do with, and I don't know if they're going to trade any of them. So there's going to be a logjam when he's ready. It's just a matter of what happens when he is ready. So take the investment, get him while you still can. He's uh, not a known player unless you're playing in um, deep, deeper dynasties that have that FYPD drafts. He's probably going to go in the top 20 picks. Um, if you're in Roto, he might last until around pick 20 to 30. If you're in a points league, just because he lacks that power, but definitely somebody to invest in. If you miss out on a Victor Scott or a Justin Crawford. That's funny. You know, you and I have been keeping up with the plethora of drafts that I have had this off season, um, doing a first year player right now in a 16 man had to go to sleep this morning, set my queue, lined everything up, had nine guys ahead of Enrique Bradfield thinking to myself, I will surely get one of these other players. I wake up, lo and behold, the nine picks in front of me all took my nine queued guys. I got Bradfield. 
And I was a little disappointed because, you know, there were some names in those nine players that you and I really like. When I actually took a step back and thought of it, it was like, you know, this is not a sexy pick, but this is a pick that over the next 10 years will probably really safety net my stolen bases in this in this Roto League. And it's covered. I don't have to go get Scott now. And I'm probably getting 80% of the value from Scott because when you think of Roto, what's the difference between Bradfield's two home runs and say Scott's 20 at his peak? It is a lot, but I can be a little bit more risky now. So I think you hit it right on the head. Top 20 picks. I took him at 19. That's exactly where I think he belongs. And it's a steep price to pay, but a good profile. Um, just for the listeners, can you just list off like the two or three names you had right ahead of Bradfield that were at the end of your queue? Yeah, if absolutely. you remember. Um, well, I'll even pull it up just for us. But uh, Noble Meyer was a guy I really liked to target. I think when we talk about Jackson Job's ascension over the past six, eight months, um, we're going to see similar production and growth from Noble Meyer. I think the guy that we're talking about in two years here is a guy that's skyrocketing pitching ranks. And it's really hard to target some of these younger high school arms when they're drafted. But Job and Meyer had two profiles that I really enjoyed coming out of the draft classes where there weren't as many question marks attached to them. Now, big thing for me looking at this draft was pitching went heavier than we thought in this first year player. Uh, Waldrip went eight, Lauder went nine, Wilkin went 10. Lee for San Francisco went 11. All of those names were in my queue. Um, Imanaga was not in my queue. Uh, DeVries, who's a guy we talked about last week, went 13. Emerson, um, Colt Emerson was in that, that as well. He went 14. Kyle Teer went 15, also in my queue. Um, so I got, I got, you know, sniped left and right. Tommy Troy went 16. I'm not in on Tommy Troy, especially in the first round of the uh, first year player draft. And then kind of scrolling down, Noble Meyer went first pick of the second round. Nolan okay. Chenault went second overall. And then Bradfield to me. So out of that handful, I would have preferred probably half of them over Bradfield. But I'm telling you, I'll take Bradfield over Nolan Chenault all day. Lack of exit velocity from Chenault. Uh, I will take him over Imanaga. And I'll take him probably over Lee. That's probably stupid. Um but I would do it. I do think Lee's probably a 20 to 30 stolen base guy at the majors. That's not in his profile. No one's talking about it. But when you actually look at his output internationally, it wasn't known for um, a stolen base league. So It also depends on where you're at. If you're in a win now, you obviously go Lee. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're in a rebuilding or middle of the pack, maybe Enrique Bradfield's a better play for you. So that it also depends on where you're at when you're doing these FYPD drafts. I agree. Uh, okay, we're going to fly through two more names because we still have a lot on the rundown today. Next two, Zach Veen, 2023 injury. We saw the Instagram post this year. Uh, I think the industry in general saw it because there was no reports. He had a season-ending surgery. So we only had 22 stolen bases out of him in 2023. Coming out of the draft when he was taken out of Florida in high school, I expected to be an average power approach over everything we've actually seen more of just a speed approach from Bean. But in 2022, he had 55 stolen bases, nine caught stealings. 2024 is going to be a really big year for his prospect, um, I guess, classification or ranking. We need to see if that injury was limiting his power, limiting his average, because coming into that surgery, he was batting almost 200. I think this is a great by now opportunity for a guy that could re-enter prospect relevance as well as prospect stardom if that injury really held him back. So what do you think about Zach Veen? 
I'm I'm out on Zach Veen. I've always I've never been a Zach Veen guy, even when he did have the the pos- prospect pedigree. Um, he was drafted ninth overall in the 2020 draft. I, I don't know. I just it's a gut feeling. I don't have a right or wrong reason. I don't know if it's because he went to the Colorado Rockies and I don't like how they develop players. I don't know if it's because I have what I call the Brendan Rogers syndrome (laughs) where I've been burned by Brendan Rogers one too many years. And I just can't get back in with the Colorado Rockies until I'll, I'll admit it. It needs to be one prospect that breaks up. Maybe it's Yankeel Fernandez Maybe it's a Gabriel Gonzalez. Maybe it's one of these other guys that I don't know about. But I'm out on any Rockies prospect until they show me that they can actually develop one at the major league level and have them be worthwhile for fantasy. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking because you and I both liked Rodgers. He obviously hasn't developed into the player that we had hoped he would. And then you're talking about Veen, who I was really excited about as well, almost as much as Rodgers when he was taken and we've seen similar concerns. You know, it's been more or less the injury this past season, but before the injury, it was just overall lack of ability to showcase uh, the tools that we had expected, which was the average, which was the power for a guy that has his stature and it just hasn't been there so far. Um, last name on the list before we get to a couple of just notes uh, Kendall George, 2023, 36 overall pick by Los Angeles. This was a guy that was not projected to go at this level. So when the Dodgers took him, it was a bit of a surprise. Everyone wondered what were they missing. Well, George is a guy that you look at could be a five-category player, could be a good defender as well. A lot of development has to go into Kendall George's profile in 2024 and 2025, but we saw him running and running often in his short appearance at Major League Ball or at, at Pro Ball. 17 stolen bases, six caught stealings, a 458 OBP that was split between rookie and Class A. So a nice, solid approach right off the bat. You can look at a guy, maybe fifth round, first year player drafts to grab that could develop into an absolute gem. I still don't really know where to gauge the profile other than I am buying. Yeah, and I, it's so hard to say because he gets he also gets an 80 grade um, uh, for run by baseball pi- or MLB pipeline. Wow, struggling with this guy over here. But 17 stolen bases in the 28 games. I like what I'm seeing as far as the speed department had good averages too. So I'm not going to lie. Kendall George, before you put him on the rundown was I've heard of him. I knew about him when he got taken in the draft, but I wasn't really in on him after looking at his numbers. You've um, enlightened me. So he's definitely on my radar a little bit more now. So thank you for that. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to scale it back a little bit. Five categories is poor taste and poor wording for me. The power is just never going to be there, um, at least from what I'm seeing. Uh, His MILB, 30-grade power, maybe. It's like the worst. I don't think I've ever seen 30 before. Yeah, and I I just don't believe that can get to a 50. Um, Maybe he can bring that up to a 40, right? We might be able to see him in Bradfield go for, like, who has more home runs over under five. Um, But this is a high schooler. So at 5'10", 170, there might be development there. The 80-grade run, again, we, we don't often see that. This is probably the first year I've ever seen an 80-grade run, and we have two guys in this draft class, two guys that we're talking about right here with 80s, and the Dodgers took them. That's just anything the Dodgers do, I'm intrigued, and I want to dig a little deeper. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Next two names, Nelson Rada. That's going to be the Angels organization. He is kind of climbing right now. 55 stolen bases this past season. He's a name... 
much like George in regards to a lacking of the power, but he is hot. Um, people are really picking up on him. They're looking to acquire him. I like him. I don't love him. And then Luis Angel Acuna, obviously Ronald Acuna's younger brother who was traded to the Mets this season, 57 stolen bases. Acuna is a name within the infield, much like Jet Williams, where if you're looking to protect yourself in the stolen base category, I think Acuna is a really nice prospect to have in your organizational depth. Problem is price. The name Acuna is going to drive up the price. And then also his actual production this season is going to drive up the price. He may be entering blue chip uh, territory in regards to perceived value. That's all that concerns me with Angel Acuna. The only thing that concerns me with Acuna is his power output. I don't see him ever reaching 15 or 20 home runs. I think he's going to sit in line right around 10, maybe 8 to 12, 13 um, at his max is what I'm expecting. But I think he's going to give you great average. I think he's going to give you great stolen bases, and that will definitely do for your your fantasy team, regardless of if it's points or head-to-head or Roto. So I definitely like Acuna for sure, but he's probably the most expensive out of all of the players that we've listed for the speed category. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but if you've got him, hold on to him. And uh, the, I think the only other thing is playing time and can, can questions because you have Lindor, you have Jet, and you have him, right? And I think when we're kind of projecting the future of our dynasty teams, that's something to think about as we've talked about with the Orioles how many times this year. Uh, but great segue. Concern about Acuna's power. We are now going to talk about some of the guys you can pair these speedsters with that will really protect you as they give you an increased power production, as they give you above that that average tier threshold of power. And a lot of these guys we've spoken on this season, so we can probably briefly touch on them. Lazaro Montez is our first one on the list. We have loved Montez all season. Kick it off for me, Richie. What are your thoughts on Montez and how excited are you for his profile? Yeah, I think we were talking off the air. I wanted to do a segment of who's the next Jackson Cherio, who's the next Junior Caminero, somebody who came from the DSL or lower levels of the minors, had okay, decent numbers, like you love to see it, but it's just going to really explode and pop. And it dawned on me when we were going through this rundown, he's been somebody we've been hyping up, but nobody else has been talking about him, and that's Lazaro Montez. He batted 303 across uh, rookie ball and low A, 321 as soon as he went to low A. But I love the power, 13 home runs in 70 games. You double that, you're looking at 26 homers, but he's still young, still has time to develop. He's only 19, 6'3", 210. He's got the frame. He's got the power. He gets a 60-grade ranking for his power by MLB Pipeline. I would be... Mm, bullish and say I would expect it to be closer to 65-70 and maybe they update that for the next um, 2024 rankings but Lazaro Montez um, by the time I was ready to invest him in our hometown league you had already sniped him probably a month earlier so kudos to you tried trading Dylan Cruz to you and tried to have you throw him in (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe I could get him maybe you uh, were lower on him like Yankeel Fernandez but now that the cat's out of the bag, Lazaro Montez, I want him where I can get him. Yeah, same. And, you know, I think for the most part, not to toot our own horns, we are usually looking at profiles and this is the riskiest one 
that, and we're not, I guess what I wanted to allude to that is we were, we're usually at least right, or at least in the ballpark of what we should expect for a player to produce Montas because he is coming off DSL and he's coming off um, a ball. We just haven't seen enough, but we are really excited. I share everything you said. I've taken him in places aggressively this off season. I've seen other people be really aggressive with him where I haven't gotten him, but this is a player when we're talking about a 60 grade power, I think you're right to me right now today, I'll put a 70 just because of the exit velocity that we saw last season in April or May, where it, I want to say it was 118. Um, and again, we don't have tracking data for him as he goes through the minor leagues until he hits AAA. But this is probably the most exciting power we currently have in the minor leagues because it is extensive raw power. The next few names we have on this list put some really nice home run numbers together in 2024, but not the same exit velo. Um, next on our list is going to be Thyron Estrado. Uh, Lizardo, excuse me, for the Dodgers, 20 years old, catcher, had 345 at-bats this season, 24 home runs, batted 272. That was at A ball. This is a guy that we kind of came on to later in the year, but are also excited about. What are your thoughts about um, Thyron Lorenzo as I continue to butcher his name? Yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it one of these days. Um, Lorenzo... I like how he's developed with his power, only 20 years old, 6'3", 195, so he's got the frame, could still build into a little bit more. I don't know if he's actually going to stay at catcher, maybe DH, first baseman, but I, I definitely think he's got the 25, 30 homers. I don't think he can get to 30, 40 like I could see with Lazaro Montez. I liked what I saw from him. I think he's going to hurt you a little bit more in the average department compared to Lazaro Montez, but I think he's still a little under the radar that 24 home runs, nobody's talking about. And maybe we're just missing something with his profile. I need to watch a little bit more film on him, see if he developed, do a little bit more research, but I'm definitely encouraged by the amount of home runs he hit 24 and 94 games over full season. That's what a 30, 35 pace. Um, I, I want to see more on the exit velocities, which we don't have access to that data. The one thing I forgot to mention with Lazaro Montez on his bio profile is that he's got registered 110 plus um, exit velocities, and they're comparing him to Jordan Alvarez, according to MLB Pipeline. So they're starting to gain tra traction on him. Lorenzo, I like. He can get him late. Definitely somebody if you need power late. Yeah, and I have tried to target uh, Lorenzo if I miss out on, um, wow, name is eluding me, um, Orioles, Basalo. Um, Basalo's mm, name has exploded. Yeah. There's a much better hit tool, in my opinion, for Basalo than there is uh, Lorenzo, but Lorenzo might have a little more power. He's a switch hitter, both catching prospects, similar in body type. Um, I like the switch hitting ability from uh, Lorenzo. The problem for me is Dodgers organization, that DH position is locked up for the next 10 years. A couple of these guys that we're getting really excited about coming out of DSL, coming out of A-ball that are profiling as maybe DH guys, where are they going to play? But again, if you can go out and get Lorenzo right now for, you know, as you said earlier, throw in, I like him. Um, next name is someone you love. He's a player I have promised you, you can have in certain leagues. That's Abimelech Ortiz for the Texas Rangers organization absolutely blasted onto the scene this year as we've noted before we would text back and forth about junior Caminero's explosion and then as junior Caminero became who he is today the name transitioned to abimelech ortiz because no one was speaking about him 391 at bats in 2023 33 home runs hit 294 
uh, stature at six foot two thirty. So he is a big boy coming out of Puerto Rico. And in 2023, he was split between two levels, A ball and high A, played 80 games at high A, hitting 290. You love him. Go ahead and talk about him. Yeah, the knock that Ortiz gets is his strikeout to walk rate, 49 walks to 126 strikeouts. But how can you be mad at a guy who hits 33 homers and bats right around 300, especially at low A and high A at only 21 years old? And um, honestly, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his profile, just looking at him. He, I want to say it reminds me of the left-handed Pete Alonzo when he was coming up through the minors, except for Pete Alonzo didn't get the quite as much hype as Abby Malik Ortiz is getting currently in this offseason. So he's going to come at a heftier price. I think I have him ranked in my like top 30, top 40 um, overall rankings. I have it on my phone, which I don't have access to currently, so I can't pull it up. But I, I think I'm one of the, the more bullish people on Abby Malik Ortiz. The biggest issue is, you know, he's high A, so he's still a few years away. And also there's a log jam for the Texas Rangers currently. And I don't know, maybe he takes over Nate Lowe. Maybe they have that DH position available when he's ready. We'll see. But I definitely like me some Ortiz. Um, I do like Montez more than every Malik Ortiz though. So I'll give you that one. Yeah. And uh, 2024, we're, I, I think we're both expecting a double A um, debut for him. You know, we're going to need to watch these strikeout numbers. It's the only thing in the profile that I have a little concern over. 90 strikeouts to 33 walks at high A. As you said, still hit 290. We don't have exit velo so data. So I, I'm guessing his exit velo is higher than most because in order to hit 290 with 90 strikeouts, you got to be really, really lacing the ball. Um, double A numbers are really going to show us who he is. If he can mm -hmm. stay around this one to three ratio for walks or strikeouts, I'm I'm gonna love this guy. If it goes to one to um, one to two, you know, there's gonna be extreme excitement. But if we start to see one to four, one to five, there's gonna be con some concern with his ability and his his uh, his pro approach at the plate. But so far, he's absolutely deserving to be on our list. I think the next few names we have are more questionable because either they had split playing time where we saw a great performance and then a, a big downturn, or we just didn't see enough data for them. And that first player is going to be Yankeel Fernandez. We talked a lot from you know May to June about how exciting Fernandez was, you and I, and then absolutely fell off a cliff towards the end of the season once he was promoted to double A. What are your thoughts on Yankeel going into 2024? Are you in or are you out? I'm, I'm stuck in the middle. If I have to pick one, I'm going to be in just because the... I'm trying to think the prospect recruiter for international for the Colorado Rockies just won international, like whatever award it was. I can't blanking yep. on it, but Colorado Rockies got it for the international guys and how they've recruited them. Adele Amador leading the way as their top prospect, Yankeel Fernandez as their number two. I do like what I saw from him when he was in low A and high A. You were begging me to pick him up um, at that time, but so like I said earlier, the Brennan Rogers curse, I couldn't believe in a, a Rockies prospect. So I'm in a sit and hold approach. I'm not buying. I'm not selling. If I have Jan Keel, I'm holding out. I want to see what he does. If he has a hot start this year, it's going to bring up questions of, is he somebody who only starts out hot and then fizzles off? Or is he going to do it for a full season this year? So that's what I want to see out of Jan Keel Fernandez this year. 
So in May, he had 10 home runs, batted 385 with 19 strikeouts to seven walks. June, he had five home runs, batted 281, 13 strikeouts to four walks. Still pretty good. And here it goes. July, uh, 15 games, batted 161, 22 strikeouts to four walks. Uh, excuse me, 22 strikeouts to seven walks, one home run. August, 23 games, one home run, 34 strikeouts to four walks, batted 223 in September, 10 games, two home runs, 10 strikeouts, two walks, batted 154. Wasn't a good second half for him, but as bad as that second half was, was almost as good as his first half. Again, he had climbed levels, I want to say three levels in 2023. He went from low A to double A. Yep. So... I think there's a chance we see him make some adjustments. I think there's a chance we see him this year explode again. And if that's the case, what we're just going to have to understand is it takes him a little time when he hits levels to adjust. But right now where his value is at is buyable. Where his value was at entering July, no one was going to trade him. I wouldn't have traded him. And I think you have a buying opportunity. So I'm kind of caught in the middle as well, but we do we do like Jan Kiel. We are rooting for him. Um, next right, name on our I'll list. I'll trade you for Jan Kiel. Yeah, uh, yeah, Wyatt Langford. Done. Um, <laughs> next name on our list is a youngster for the Dodgers organization. Your friend Medina, 2023, 63 at bats, five home runs, 270 in the DSL. Not much to talk about here, Richie, but what do you think of Medina? Yeah, he was somebody that was uh, getting hyped up just like uh, Yankeel Fernandez around that time. Uh, I think that's when the DSL started up. I'm trying to pull up his numbers. He started out really great, and then he fizzled off near the end. Um, Ultimately, 270 with five home runs over the course of 32 games, so definitely showcased some power. Um, We just need to see more of him, honestly. I don't even think he's listed as a a top 30 for the Dodgers currently. And I think the only reason why you and I came across him is looking at that MILB tracker for DSLs and filtering by the home runs and seeing that he was at the top of the list for quite some time, honestly. So he's definitely somebody I want to watch more frequently. I think he had an injury to end the season. I don't know what it was off the top of my head, but Definitely somebody intrigued with. You can get him real late. Um, I think in our 16-team Dynasty League, you and I were talking about him. You got him in like the 50th round or something or close like 45th, 50th round. So you're talking about like six, seven, maybe even 800th overall. So definitely somebody to think about very late in drafts. Yeah, Medina's a guy that I think we're talking about buying him now because also throw in name, he's a guy you could target and – and probably get for very little, but he's also Honestly, a, you could probably pick him up right now. You could probably depending pick him on up. your league, yeah. Um, but he's a guy that I think we could be talking about in the same vein as Montez next year. Pro- probably not as much power, but like similar profile. He's on this power ranking for us and this power eye opener for us because we do forecast, you know, future ability from him. And this next name is very similar. I don't think he's as acquirable. That's John Cruz for the New York Yankees. Richie, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here because this is another DSL name for us Uh, from 2022. And then in 2023, he played in the uh, Florida Complex League. We had 10 home runs in 48 games, batted 294 with nine stolen bases. He's 6'3". He is 210, if I am correct. 6'3", 171. That's probably incorrect. Uh, Big guy. And he's a Yankee. So you have a lot of Yankee prospect push up here. What do you think of John Cruz so far? 
Yeah, I like what I'm seeing from him. I'm trying to pull up, what was he, in the 2022 international class? I think he was highly regarded. I'm trying to find it. Um, you caught me off guard with John Cruz. I was expecting somebody else. But either way, um, I like. I think you can get him. I don't think he's as highly valued as you think he might be in the industry, Matt. So I think he's still quite acquirable for sure. Well, as you um, look it up, and you know, I'm just going to preface the – Context I put that in. He has been taken, I would say, anywhere from three to five rounds before I'm willing to target him in MILB uh, dynasty drafts. Those are drafts that are split majors and minors. He's a guy that I think is really aggressively sought after by Yankee fans or by yeah, AL East fans that have heard more about Cruz than maybe the rest of um, you know dynasty and and major league you know fantasy players. And I didn't even know about him until draft season started. Uh, we may have touched on him this season. He wasn't a guy that hung around my memory. And when I really looked at the profile, I was very excited. The only downside is 44 strikeouts to 22 walks. You're seeing almost a strikeout per game. That's 6-3 high levers. You know That's something we're going to need to watch as he hits A-ball this season. Yeah, I'm not finding it. I, can't, I don't know if he was part of the 21 class or the 22 class, but I don't even think he was part of the top 30. But I definitely remember talking about him with you on one of our podcasts. So, um, yeah, I'll have more for you on a future podcast. And a name to watch. You know, we'll research. be we'll be watching him this season. We will probably touch on him a little bit more this off season. Uh, just a guy, ten home runs when you're talking about the Florida Complex League. That's impressive, showcasing that power. 18 years old. Uh, doesn't turn 19 until August. So we're going to see him as an 18-year-old at A-ball this year. You know, could be another guy that's like Montez. Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to be monitoring him heavily. And you don't have to pay the price like we talked about with Montez here. You know, you can go out and be aggressive with Cruz or pick him up. Next name on our list is one of our own. It's a Milwaukee Brewer from Wake Forest. That's Brock Wilkin. Taking in the first round, pick 18. A guy that I had texted you and told you about. I was hoping they took. They took him, um, and it's interesting. Talking about Brock Wilkin, a lot of power. That's why he's on this list. His former teammate, Nick Kruntz, is a guy that we're going to break down in a couple of weeks here. You know, Brock Wilkin holds currently the Wake Forest home run um, leaderboard. I think that will be gone with Kruntz, but I really like Brock Wilkin. He is flying up first-year player drafts. We had talked about his name going, I think, pick 10 in the, the last first-year player, first round that I had done. What do you think of Brock Wilkin, Richie? Yeah, I like Brock Wilkin. I think he's going to give you a decent average above 250, not quite 300, somewhere in between there. I think he's going to give you at least 20 homers once he gets to um, the major league level for the Brewers. Maybe 25, maybe 30 at his max, but I don't think he's going to tap into anything more than that. But that is more than serviceable if he can give you a 260, 270 with 25 homers at third base which is very top heavy in my opinion, I think that is definitely going to play, especially for our brewers. Um, so I'm definitely in on Wilkin. I think he's more expensive than any of the guys we've talked about for targeting. I think he's more expensive, even more than more expensive than Abby Melik Ortiz and Lazaro Montez. So as far as where I rank these guys, I would prefer Ortiz and Montez over Wilkin comparative to what their value perceived value is across your leagues yeah i think that's that's a good point i offer you wilkin for montez in a hypothetical league are you taking it or no 
I'm taking Montez. Yep, same. No um, questions. No question. Uh, Wilkin has been comp to Austin Riley, and there is some concern if he stays at third base. But anytime that you're tossing an Austin Riley comp on a guy, you're excited. Uh, obviously Austin Riley found a way to overcome those strikeout issues. You know, there has been obviously talk in the industry. He has, he's a hard time deviating between fastballs and sliders. That's why his strikeouts can be a little bit higher with the Braves. If Wilkin can even be 80% of Austin Riley, that's an absolute home run. And you know, we, we are really enjoying Brock Wilkin being on the Brewers last name before we break into the college names, Spencer Jones. This is an addition you made to our list. It's a guy I actually wanted to add to the list right before you tossed him in there. So good job with that. Spencer Jones out of Vanderbilt, 2022 first round pick, 25 overall for the New York Yankees, 6'6", 235. This is a big, big guy. 16 home runs in 2023, have batted 267. I think we're just scratching the surface on what the power output can be. Also a left-hander in Yankee Stadium when we are projecting him to be on the big league club is very exciting. What are your thoughts on Spencer Jones? Yeah, initially I wasn't in on Spencer Jones. I wasn't a believer. I think the strikeout rate is a little bit too much. I don't think he's going to provide the greatest average for you. And then I think it was you that actually, it might have been you or one of our league mates sent me something on uh, exit velocities across the minor leagues. And he was like one of the top five or might've been the top of all the minor leagues in exit velocities. So that piqued my interest and really showcased the power that he has, even though he only hit 16 homers in 117 games last year. So it might be one of those things where he needs to fix his launch angle, get it corrected. I, we're seeing issues with that with Cabrian Hayes. We saw it with Christian Yelich um, and another guy I'm blanking on, but if he can correct that, I think he can take off and skyrocket up um, prospect rankings. It's just a matter of what can he do and can he truly break out because we haven't seen the full breakout quite yet. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think first base is also an option for Jones. If that outfield is a little bit more crowded, we, we will see 2024 if he can kind of get those home run numbers up. You know, we are going to be having him at probably, I would imagine a full season of double a we look at 2023 had 78 games at double a so maybe he sees excuse me 17 games at double a in 2023 so i would expect for him to have a full season at double double a unless he really produces and maybe we see him peak at triple a but this profile could be a guy that explodes this year and we you know we love the left-handed power approach in yankee stadium and Rizzo, as he enters the final stages of his career and his contract in New York, this could be a replacement option if they choose to sign Soto long-term. But you talked a little bit about that uh, highest exit velocity in the minor leagues, and that kind of transitions us into our final segment today. Those five names, one of the names on the list was Dylan Cruz. And we're going to talk today about two or three of the big infield prospects that we are highlighting for this coming 2024 Major League First-Year Player Draft. It's going to be J.J. Weatherhold. It's going to be Travis Pizana. And then we are going to follow it up with going to be Sieber King, who is a new transfer to Wake Forest. But we are going to use Wyatt Langford and Dylan Cruz's 2023 college numbers to kind of highlight some of these infielders, kind of show you exactly what profile to get excited about. Dylan Cruz, as I said, was on that top five exit velocity list in the minor leagues. And it is funny because Wyatt Langford has overtaken him as the best prospect college bat from this past draft. But Dylan Cruz is still a name to be excited about. So let's start off. We're going to break down J.J. Weatherholt here. 
180. He is eligible, kind of projected from baseball reference to play short, second, third. He can play outfield, so you have a lot of flexibility here. If you look at his overall profile, you have a little bit of power with 16 home runs at West Virginia in 2023, 36 stolen bases. But this next number is the, the number that has gotten everyone really excited. That's 449 batting average with a 517 on base percentage. He comes in with a 70-grade hit tool by MILB. Richie, J.J. Weatherhold is my number one prospect in this draft right now. What are your thoughts on Weatherhold? Yeah, he's my number two behind Nick Kurtz. I just, you can't deny the power that Kurtz provides you. J.J. Weatherholt, I did some watching of his college tapes, and I really like the swing. I like how he can attack the top of the zone, and when something off speed comes low in the zone, he can adjust, dip his shoulders, make solid contact anywhere around the plate. In the zone, out of the zone, doesn't matter. He's going to produce. The last time we saw a hit tool this great, I want to say Brooks Lee got a 70-grade hit tool, but I don't think he had anywhere close to the power, anywhere close to the run. So I think J.J. Weatherholt is the the true package here. And I don't want to put a comp on him or anything like that, but honestly, it reminds me of a more developed Jackson Holiday. if Jackson Holiday would have went into college. Now, I don't want to say he's going to turn into that, but I think this is a special player that we're going to see here, and wherever he goes, he's going to shine and move through the rankings very quickly. I absolutely love that uh, comp. I think I think you're spot on. Um, you know, I think Holiday, as we have talked about, could produce more power as he grows, but he also might not. So I referenced a little bit earlier that we were going to talk about Cruz's numbers in comparison. Cruz in twenty twenty. Here I am going to Jackson Holiday. <laughs> no, but it, you know these guys are top of the draft, as we had mentioned. These names belong together, so uh, I think it's fair to bring up Jackson Holiday. And when we look at Dylan Cruz, who coming out of this class was the best college producer with the bat, we had 18 home runs, which, you know, talking about J.J. Weatherholt, and he had his 16 home runs, very close. When you look at Dylan Cruz's average at 426 and a 567 on base percentage, you know, back to J.J. Weatherholt, we talked about the 449 and the 517 on base percentage. So numbers that are very eerie and eerily similar. The difference, I think, is we are projecting Dylan Cruz to have more major league power. Um, Weatherholt coming in with a 50 power grade and a 60 run. I think we'll see less home runs from Weatherholt, more stolen bases, and then you'll have that infield flexibility. Wanted to add two more numbers here. Uh, excuse me, three more numbers. This was an article by Baseball America that we kind of came across as we were doing our research. 2023 data. His contact rate, this being J.J. Weatherholt, was 89.5% with an 18.4% chase rate. That's incredible. Both numbers, the next name, also very in line with that. These are elite-level numbers. Now, the downside is the 90th percentile exit velocity is 105. That's not going to be a Nick Kroontz, but it is very respectable for a middle infielder, which is why I think both of these players are being pushed up into the top five possibly arguing and fighting for that number one overall pick by the guardians. Um, so let's break into Travis Bazana now. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about Bazana? Yeah. Bazana six foot, one ninety five, could play second base or outfield. Um, last year he pulling up his stats at Oregon state here. 
He had 61 games, batted 374. He had six home runs, so lacking a little bit. Oh, no, sorry, 11 home runs. That was 2022 I was looking at. This is 2023. Had 11 home runs, 374 batting average with a 1122 OPS. Wow, that is beautiful to see. Even chipped in with some stolen bases, 36 altogether. So he's a full package just as just as much as Weatherholt just lacks a little bit as far as the hit tool goes, maybe a little bit more power, has the exact same run, 60 grade to 60 grade compared with Baseball America. You mentioned the contact chase and exit velocity for Weatherholt by Baseball America. I'm going to go ahead and list them off. For Bazana, he had an 86.3% contact rate, so just a little bit less than Weatherholt. Chase percent at 14.7%, so you'd love to see that. His 90th percentile exit velocity is also at that 105 range at 105.9. So if I had to pick one over the other, it's going to be Weatherholt, but Bazana is a close second and third overall for me in this entire draft class. Yeah, I mean... We, I love these profiles, and I don't remember the last time we saw a second base profile from two players like this. Now, Weatherholt for West Virginia is going to try and attempt to play shortstop this season. I think that will boost his value even more. But I think when we're talking fantasy, both of these guys are players that you plug and play in roto in categories, and they absolutely solidify that you know, 15 to 20 home runs, 300 average, which when you're profiling guys, you can't often say these are going to be 300 hitters. I'm comfortable saying that for both of these players. And when you look at the speed profile, I think we have guys that will steal 20 to 30, maybe even 40 bags if they can continue to keep the body um, approach where it currently is. The only concern I have for Bazana is the fact that he is coming from Australia, going to Oregon State at 19, you know, is there anything within his youth development that may slow him down as he enter, enters professional baseball? That's the only knock I'll toss on Bazana. It's the only reason I like JJ a little bit more. And before we move on to our final name today, I did want to highlight this was something that you and I came across. We both learned today. Um, both of these players played in the CCBL League, and I did not know what that meant. And so we did, again, a little research. Um, that is going to be the Southern Collegiate Baseball um, League. This is going to be a league, and I'm re reading off of their mission statement right off of their website. Our purpose is to pro provide inspiring college baseball players the opportunity to improve their abilities through a summer of wooden bat play against top-notch competition. And these, these leagues have been listed on Wyatt Langford's profile, uh, as well as Weatherholt, and as well as Bazana. So this is a league that I think you can really compare good players to. And when we look at um, Bazana, he had 33 games in this league, six home runs. So we really saw that power batted 375. So he had even one tick above his Oregon State production, which is very, very impressive. 14 stolen bases. So you're seeing that translation with the wood bat. In comparison, Weatherholt only played eight games. Uh, he had one home run, batted 321. Uh, no stolen bases, so a much smaller sample size. But at least we got to see with Bazana with a wood bat production and power in those six home runs. Looking at Wyatt Langford's numbers in the same league in 2022, Langford had nine games, two home runs, batted 394. I mean, he just did Wyatt Langford things. He absolutely smashed. 
Um, let's see here, 2021, 34 games, three home runs, batted 346. You know, this is something I think I will watch as we move into draft season, as we start to really look at some of these pro- these players and these profiles, players that can match their college production in this summer league. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to that type of a league, and um, we'll see what happens. Um, for some of these younger guys, I don't think the this class will be in that because they'll be getting drafted as soon as that initial college league is over. So definitely somebody for the 2025 class uh, to be mindful of. All right, two more things before we wrap today. Uh, Richie, you and I had talked about their 2023 data that we got off Baseball America. Both Weatherholt and Bazana sitting around the same as we had mentioned. There is that slight uptick for Bazana in 90th percent uh, exit velo. It's about it's about a point. Um, but I want to give the listeners some reference. 90th percentile exit velocity, league average, 104.9. So Bazana and Weatherhold um, are just over that. You know, Bazana almost a full tick above that. Weatherholt almost right there. Contact percentage, again, league average is 77.3. So you look at Bazana at 86.3. He is well above. And you look at J.J. Weatherholt at 89.5, yet again, uh, well above. And the chase rate, league average, 23.4%. Both of these players, again, well above in a positive direction, that chase rate. Bazana at 14.7. And Weatherholt, as my mouse screws up, at 184 so you're talking about elite production from two contact profile players, the exit velocity being average. We can live with that. You know, they're well above in other categories. We love to see that. Uh, last thing to mention today is Seaver King. It's a player that you and I have talked about a little bit here and there. We wanted to add him to the list because he is going to be a first round expected player. I did not know that Seaver King, who is transferring into Wake Forest, uh, shortstop, possible outfield, options for Wake Forest this year did come from um, from Division Two, So dominated Division Two had a 47-game hit streak in between 2022 and 2023. A lot of hype for him coming into the season, but there is that transfer into Division One and a powerhouse of Wake Forest. Uh, MILB is giving him a 60-grade hit, 40-grade power, 65 run, I think that's the interesting one to note on. We're expecting Seaver King to be one of the speedsters of this class. So a 65 run, we're going to have to monitor if that is correct or not. An arm of 55 and a field of 55. Seaver King is not as exciting as um, Bonanza as well as Weatherholt. But what do you think of King coming into this 2024 season? I think King is one of the most polarizing players that's going to be coming out of this draft class. Depending on what he does this season, coming from Division Two to Division One, he can rise into a top five, maybe top ten um, overall prospect, or he could drop out of the first round depending on what he does dealing with Division One competition. So this is a big year for him. I think uh, MLB Pipeline has him ranked ninth overall. I think that's an okay um, evaluation currently, I think he needs to prove himself. And if he does that and bats 350 to 400 at division one for Wake Forest, I think he will remain a top 10 prospect. Yeah, I absolutely, I'm full, fully on board with you before we wrap today. I just really quickly wanted to compare Seaver King with a former Milwaukee Brewer legend. And that is Ricky Weeks. 
Ricky Weeks, if everyone remembers, also did not play. Um, he did not play Division One, and if I remember correctly, he was drafted two overall, right behind Delman Young. And of course, I can't get college numbers on Ricky Weeks. Um, okay, well, wrapping up here. <laughs> next time. Next, <laughs> next time. Next time. Um, twenty twenty three for Seaver King, again Division Two, fifty games, eleven home runs. 26 strikeouts to 18 walks, only 13 stolen bases. So I'm not seeing a, a speed profile that's screaming uh, at 411. This is the fun one. We talked about the summer collegiate league with the wood bat. King played there, 16 games, one home run, batted 424. So talking about translation and how he's going to do at Wake Forest. We talked about um, Bazana and we talked about Weatherholt. He actually performed right in line with those guys. Now only 16 games, but I, I like the numbers that I'm seeing. And I'm excited. I think you're right, though. A poor, a poor outcome for him this season will drop him out of the first. But you know, there, there's a reason we're talking about him. It's because there is a possibility that he is going to be lumped in with our other two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Seaver King is a distant third for me. I think it's Weatherholt and um, Bazana in a tier of their own, and Seaver King's like in an in-between tier. Like if he has a great season, boom, he'll be lumped in with those three bad season. We're not even talking about him in six months from now. You know, I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, you convinced me to cut out half of our outline because we're at an hour and 10 minutes and, uh, we would have been here all night and you would not have <laughs> I slept, told you, so I told you you're right yet again, yet again. Uh, that's all I have for today. Do you have anything else for us, Richie? Nope. I got nothing. All right. Well, next week we will probably come back to this outline highlight some 2024 breakouts that we really like. We're going to talk about some of the 2023 MLB draftees that had really good seasons, a few players that we've already touched on this year, but we've put them together in, in a nice little list here. And there's some really exciting stats. And then we will also talk about some starting pitchers as well as relief pitchers that you want to target right now before they start to climb in perspective value. And we will also highlight a few more college players next week. I'm assuming Richie's going to want to highlight Nick Kroontz I got him in a league. I'll trade him to you. Maybe for your second born kid. Um, but that's all I got. If you give me your first. Ah, first and a second in Cruins. That seems like an yeah. interesting deal. Um, all right, everybody. And we're going to work week. on your pronunciation for next week, too. Yeah, well. You keep saying Cruins. It's Kurtz. Kurtz. Yeah, I like Cruins with my salad. Um, all, right. all right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.